Yummy, 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 I've got food in my tummy. Or I want to because I love food. How about you? Do you love it? Do you love chocolate and chocolate biscuits? Woohoo! Do you love fresh fruit and vegetables? Do you love salad? Do you love meat? What are your favourite foods? What are your least favourite foods? What would you never put in your mouth to eat? And what are the things that you can't live without? Uh, why do you eat the way that you do? Do you have strong opinions and feelings and uh, even convictions about what's good or bad food? And if you are giving information about food to the people that you care about, so you might be a, a parent, a teacher, a coach, if like me you're an exercise professional and an educator, what kind of information should we be giving about food? And I like to keep it as simple as possible because this is the, probably one of the most controversial topics on the planet. And the reason for that, of course, is that everybody eats food. doesn't matter what religious persuasion you are or what political beliefs you have or what you think about exercise or what you think about the, the state of the world or the climate change or what education should be like or what parenting, what good parents look like. All of that is under, underlaying, underlaying, <laughs> underlying with uh, food because food gives us energy to do all the things that we need to do. So even as an exercise professional, there's a big argument about which is better, exercise or food, and which gives you the better result. Is it 80% food and 20% exercise? And you'll often hear that. Uh, and I'm always the 100% person, so I think that we should eat 100% to give us everything that we need and exercise at 100% to give us a fit, strong body so we can do all the things that we want to do. How does that sound for a great idea? So how do we deal with this controversial topic? And is it possible that whatever we believe, what our convictions are, what our opinions are, is that we're very likely to pass them on? So again, I'm going to ask a personal question. If you were starting from scratch in business, we call it zero-based thinking, and you were going to create an eating plan for the world, so there was no eating plan, and you were going to create how will it be best for the human race to eat, to have a stack of energy, to perform at their best, to look good in the mirror and to feel good and to get the results that they want from their eating plan. And I always ask those four questions because I think they're really important. So let's just say there was no information about food. There was no information about nutrition. We didn't know about macro and micronutrition. We didn't know about diets. All we knew is that we had to create an eating plan for people that gave them a stack of energy, helped them perform at their best. They looked good in the mirror and they felt good when they touched their body physically and they got the results that they wanted from their eating plan because that for some people is different. Some people eat for energy, some people eat for performance, some people eat to look good, some people eat because it's uh, the time of the day, some people eat because of emotion. There's all sorts of reasons why people eat. But for whatever reason people eat, if we were going to give them the result that they wanted, what eating plan would we design for them? And if you, if you think about that for a little bit, and I do because I'm an exercise professional and because I... <laughs> I have a responsibility to give information to the world as an international exercise college as, and as an international business college because business people want to have a stack of energy so that they can perform at their best, look good in the mirror and get the results that they want from their eating and exercise plan. So this is a constant driving force for me. Uh, here's a, another great question. What we've been doing up until now How's it been working for us? Now, you might say that your eating plan works beautifully, so I'm going to ask you those questions again. Do you have a stack of energy? Do you perform at your best? Do you love what you see in the mirror? And are you getting the results that you want? Because if your answer is yes, then you'll probably have a pretty strong opinion about how people should eat because it'll probably be the way that you eat. Would that be fair? Because it's working for me, so it must be going to work for other people. The reverse of that 
is whatever information's been given out to the world at the moment. Uh, and it's, it's different for different countries and different governments have different health guidelines for food. And there's the, the healthy eating pyramid, which has changed over the years. We have the extreme of vegan, plant-based, vegetarian through to carnivore and everything in between. Uh, we have all different times of days to eat, all different amounts to eat. And some people even say this, it doesn't matter what you eat as long as you eat it at a certain time of the day. So there's so much information out there. But if you were designing an eating plan to give people a stack of energy, perform at their best, look good in the mirror and get the results that they want, would you create an eating plan that said can't have, mustn't have, shouldn't have, don't have, that created uh, mental challenges uh, and guilt associations with food? Would you create something that caused eating disorders like obesity, uh, anorexia, bulimia, exercise bulimia? Would you want people to diet? Would you want people to count calories? Would you want people to be fanatical about food? I'm asking those questions really personally because is it possible that some of the information, if not all of the information that we have delivered to the world via the exercise profession, the nutrition profession, the medical profession, has screwed with people's heads to the point where now there's a lot of people who put their hands in the air and said, I don't care. I'm just going to eat whatever I want. And if I get fat, doesn't matter. If I get sick, doesn't matter. Because the information is so contradicting. Well, humans can do whatever they want and we all get to choose what we eat. But what about our kids? If you're a parent or a teacher or you're responsible for creating great meals for kids that are going to grow up to be adults, uh, what are we going to give them? Are we going to teach them how to diet? Are we going to teach them how to count calories? Are we going to teach kids uh, that carbohydrates bad for them? Are we going to teach kids that they shouldn't be eating animals or that they shouldn't be eating fruit and vegetables? Are we going to teach kids that they should only eat one day and not another day? Are we going to teach kids that there's good foods and bad foods? And uh, a lot of those questions I've just asked are very controversial. But any of those questions isolated on their own, what do they do to a child's headspace? What do they do to an adult's headspace? If we start creating shouldn't, can't, mustn't, don't, bad for you. And I always use the example, if I eat an apple... Or I'll rephrase. If I ask kids, this is chocolate, almond gold, and this is an apple, which is the good food, which is the bad food? And most children, from when they can talk, will probably say the apple's a good food and the chocolate's a bad food. You and I both know that there's going to be an argument about that because a lot of people that believe that fruit is bad for you, that you shouldn't eat fruit toast at all, and that apples are just a no-no. There's some people that actually say that. There's a lot of people that will say that chocolate's a no-no, it's really bad for you and you shouldn't eat it. And a lot of people consider chocolate to be a bad food. So let's just say I eat two kilos of chocolate. I reckon I'll feel sick. <laughs> Anybody will probably feel sick if they eat two kilos of chocolate. What if I eat two kilos of this very good food that some people consider is a bad food, and how would we know? But what if I eat two kilos of it, two kilos of apples? Can you imagine how you would feel? You'd have a stomach ache, you'd pass wind. It's just not something that you do. Interesting, isn't it? So is it possible, and I, I'm very careful with food because it's a very confrontational subject. But is it possible that when you start labelling food as good or bad, you can get yourself into trouble with that? Because for some people, this is the ultimate food. They really love fresh fruit and they enjoy it every day. And if you tell them that fructose is bad for them or they shouldn't eat fruit, you could break down a relationship pretty quickly. You could have an argument. And there's a lot of argument about food, have you noticed? 
What if you tell people that they shouldn't eat chocolate? What about the people that really love it? It's an important part of their life or it's just a pleasurable part of their life. Have you met people that they were told don't eat chocolate, it's bad for you, so they stopped eating it? But they've become very hangry, angry, emotional, bitter, twisted people because they really want to eat chocolate, but they won't because they've told not, been told not to. But they're really angry that they can't. The reverse of that is people are told that chocolate's a really bad food, don't eat it, but they really love it. And every time they eat it, they feel guilty. So they have a headspace that's unhealthy. Or even more reverse of that uh, is I eat it, or re rephrase, I don't eat it, I don't eat it, I don't eat it, I don't eat it, and then I binge eat it, and I eat an enormous amount. See, this bowl of chocolate is always in my kitchen. Apart from the fact that it's gold and it goes with my kitchen, uh, it's full of chocolate. And people say, Rowie, how can you have chocolate in your kitchen? How come you don't eat it all? And I'll share with you, this is very personal, but the reason I don't need to eat it all is because it's always there. There's no stigma in my house about good or bad food. There are, to me, there are no good or bad foods, just the amount in which you eat them. And even in this bowl, I can choose to have a larger piece of chocolate, or I can choose to have a smaller piece of chocolate, or I can have a high-quality lint piece of chocolate, it's tiny and I put it in my mouth and it melts in my mouth and it's like an orgasm for your mouth. <laughs> so if I eat one chocolate every day, is that going to make me unhealthy? Is it going to uh, affect my metabolism? Is it going to make me fat? One of the things we often say at this house, if you think a chocolate's going to make you fat, put it on the scales and weigh it. And uh, even if the whole thing turned to fat, is that going to make a big difference? Spread out over the 50 billion or 40 billion, depending on your genetics, 40 to 50 billion fat cells in your body. Even the fat that's in here, if we spread it throughout the whole body, would you be able to even see it? Is it possible? And could you please consider that maybe, maybe we have some eating challenges in the world we just because we eat too much? Good food, bad food, okay food, moderate food. Is it possible that just too much of anything? What does your body do when you give it too much of anything? This is it. We've got to look at both angles here and both extremes. So morbid obesity is I eat too much for whatever reason, emotional reasons, mental reasons, DNA reasons, genetic reasons. I've got an illness. There's all sorts of reasons that people have decided on or come up with or are preaching at us about why we have morbid obesity in the world. But when a fat cell expands and expands and expands and then it splits and those two expand and expand and expand, the body can get very, very fat. And when the body has an enormous amount of fat on it and all the systems are broken down, is it possible that that's unhealthy? So the eating too much food, whether it's nuts or fruit or meat or chocolate, and I use my mother as an example, my beautiful, gorgeous mother that lived through the Second World War. And for a lot of the time during the war, uh, in, she was in Berlin, there were many days where there was no food. So she would go for, without food for three, four, five days at a time. So my mother came out of that experience when she was a refugee in Australia where food was like a, I can't believe there's so much food. So my mother's headspace, because she had been deprived of food for so many days at a time, food became this very precious gift. And she couldn't leave any food. Now, my mother liked to eat healthy food. And she ate nuts and fruit and vegetables. and But she just ate too much. So my mother was very overweight for most of her life because she just ate too much food, too much 
and whatever you call healthy food. But if you looked at what she ate, salad and vegetables and nuts and fruit, and, but just too much. So there's just a place to start. If you were designing an eating plan for people, what would be the amount? And could the amount be as simple as eat to suit your activity level? If you don't do very much, is it possible that you don't need to eat very much? If you're a very active person and you do a lot, is it possible that you need to eat a lot or eat more? And I think you can hear in the background, my puppy dogs are having a scuffle. Now we've got four beautiful dogs. At the moment, it's freezing cold outside and raining. So the dogs are inside their kennel most of the day. So tonight when they get dinner, they get a tiny little dinner because they haven't done anything all day. There's no reason to have a big dinner. They haven't done much. On other days when the gates open and they're running around 20 acres of property chasing each other all day, they get an enormous dinner because they've had a really active day. So maybe that's something to consider before we even go into good or bad foods or should I eat that, shouldn't I eat that, can't have, mustn't have, don't have. Is it possible that we have a look at the amount? What is the amount I need to eat? Now, the other thing we get caught up in with amount is your base metabolic rate versus your metabolism. And people say, this is how many calories you should eat every day. Well, if you were creating a new eating plan for people, would you, would you tell them how many calories to eat? Or here's a, and I'll just, again, this is my personal philosophy, but I'm going to share it with you because I've been doing this for a long time. And most of my career path as a personal exercise coach, my clients were people whose headspace was totally screwed up about food. They hated food or they hated themselves or both. So they were morbidly obese or they were anorexic or they were bulimic or they were exercise bulimic or a combination of all of those at some stage in their life because they had a really screwed up relationship with food. One of the reasons why I'm so passionate about this topic is I don't want to do that to anybody. I don't want people to have the kind of relationship with food where if they eat something, they want to go and cut themselves or pour boiling water on themselves or then starve themselves for weeks at a time. And that's what happens when on the emotional eating scale, it becomes totally emotional and food is controlling your life. I don't want to do that to anybody. And is it possible that some of the information, if not all of the information that we've been preaching at people over the years, has forced people into a place where they focus on calories and they focus on carbohydrate and they focus on fat grams and they focused on times of the day and they focus on weighing their food and counting how much they ate and it becomes a controlling factor in their life. I'll rephrase the question again. If you were going to create a healthy eating plan for people, wouldn't it be nice if it looked or sounded a little bit like this? Eat when you're hungry, stop eating when you're full. Eat all the foods that you love, don't waste calories on food that you don't love, and make sure that whatever you're eating gives you a stack of energy, helps you perform at your best. Make sure that you look good in the mirror and you love the way your body feels in the shower with no clothes on, and you're getting the results that you want from your eating and exercise plan. And if that isn't happening, then we need to make some changes. But if that is happening, why would we make any changes? So whatever opinion you have about food or conviction you have about food or whatever you're preaching at the world or telling the world, if even if that's working for you, if you can absolutely, passionately, honestly share with your world, I have a stack of energy all day, every day. I perform at my best at everything that I do. I love what I see in the mirror every day. I don't have fat days and skinny days. I love the way my body feels in the shower and I'm getting the exact results that I want from my eating and exercise plan. If you can say that honestly, 
Is it still possible that whatever's going to work for you isn't going to work for somebody else? Because there's those things to take into account. Base metabolic rate. If I tell somebody, eat this, do I know what their base metabolic rate, which is how many calories their body needs to survive doing nothing in a warm room over 24 hours? That's your base metabolic rate. And if you don't know that about somebody, do we even have the right to tell them how much to eat? Now, the next part of that is metabolic rate. So that's what happens if I get up out of that warm room and start moving around. Throughout the day, our metabolic rate changes. If it's really cold, our metabolic rate goes up because we're shivering. If it's really hot, our metabolic rate comes down because our body's got to try and get back to, I want to be normal. And when it's already warm, it's got to just come back to normal. If I exercise, my metabolic rate goes up. If I laugh, if I have a shower, if I play sport, if I have sex, my metabolic rate changes. If I'm a fidgeter, if I move around all the time, if I tap my toe when I'm at my desk, if I'm a person who never sits down, I just stand up all the time. If my job is active, my metabolic rate changes throughout the day. And then my metabolic rate, that's the outside. But my metabolic rate also changes depending on how much muscle tissue I've got, whether I've lost muscle tissue, how much I use my brain. So if I've just watched television all day doing nothing, unlikely that my brain's using any calories. The two things that are the most metabolically active in our body are our muscles and our brain. So if you're sitting down doing nothing and you're not thinking about anything, your body's not doing very much. It's like my dog sitting in their kennel all day. So how much do I actually need? So my metabolic rate changes every day. The third part of that, which I think a lot of people have either not learned or they've forgotten about, is the respiratory quotient, which is where those calories are coming from. And a really fit, strong person burns those calories differently than somebody that's weak and unfit. A fit, strong person, their respiratory quotient prefers to burn fat. It prefers to save the half a kilo of carbohydrate that we use for high intense activity, for lifting heavy, for punching, for doing high intense sprinting, all the things that we do to get really fit and really strong. The body can only store half a kilo of carbohydrate. So if I'm really fit and really strong, my body automatically evolves into this. I want to save the half a kilo of carbohydrate for when Ro is exercising. And then when she's resting, I want to make sure that She's using up the fuel that's really easily accessible and we have big storage system for it, 40 to 50 billion fat cells. So now I prefer to burn fat. So really fit, strong people sitting in a room, which they probably won't, won't be sitting, they'll be standing, versus somebody who's weak and unfit, they, their base metabolic rate might even be the same because they might have the same amount of muscle tissue. But when they actually start moving around, things change completely because their, their body prefers to burn fat. So some people aren't either natural fat burners because they have a faster metabolism or they are forcing their metabolism to be faster because they exercise. This is a, a really interesting thing to consider. If you've ever given information about food, do you know that about somebody? Do you know what their base metabolic rate, have you had it tested? Do you know what their metabolic rate is? Are they a fidgeter? Just a quick side note on that. Fidgeters burn between 800 to 1,000 extra calories a day just because they move around. They tap their feet, they move their fingers, they can't keep still. Some people call that uh, tension deficit disorder. Other people call that fast calorie burning machine because they're just moving around all the time and their brain's always active because they're looking for new things to do. That person requires more calories because they have a faster metabolic rate. So base metabolism, do you know what it is? Metabolic rate, do you know what it is? And you have to measure it every day. And do you know what their 
respiratory quotient is, which is where those calories are coming from. And could you measure how much stress they've got in their life or how much happiness they've got in their life or how much pressure they've got in their life? Because that changes their metabolism as well. So for us to tell somebody how much they should eat is a really interesting thing to consider. The times of day we tell people to eat, if you were designing an exercise program for people, would you say you have to eat in the morning and you have to eat at lunchtime and you have to eat in the evening? Why did we do that? And it's a really good thing if you don't know the background of why we have those three meals a day. It's got nothing to do with how the human body works. It's got to do with the social norms of the time. So farmers needed to eat in the morning because they were either going out to do hard work and they'd been sleeping for eight hours and they were going to be working all day. So they needed, they needed food at the start of the day. Uh, what if you don't want to eat at the start of the day because you had a big meal the night before? Why do we put food into our body at the start of the day if we don't need it? You know, some people say to me, but it speeds up your metabolism. But I always ask this question, do you know what that person's base metabolic rate? Do you know what their, their metabolic rate is? Do you know what their respiratory quotient is? And do you know how many calories they burnt the day before versus the amount of calories they're going to need for today? Because otherwise it would be really... I think, irresponsible to say you should eat breakfast because it speeds up your metabolism. What about people who don't even like to eat food in the morning? And now there's a really big argument because there's a big group of people that are intermittent fasters that either eat breakfast and then don't eat until the next breakfast or they don't eat breakfast, they don't eat till four o'clock in the afternoon. If you are designing an eating plan for somebody and, and sharing with them to have a stack of energy, to perform at your best, to look good in the mirror and to get the results that you want, when would you get them to eat their food? So could these be really good questions? What would you get them to eat? When would they eat? How about the reasons why people eat? Would it be important to consider that some people have political reasons for eating certain kinds of food because they don't, they don't want to eat a genetically designed food or they don't want to eat a food that comes from that particular country or they don't want to eat a food because of the, the, the way that it's harvested. So they're political reasons. There's religious reasons. Some people don't eat meat or they don't drink wine or they don't eat shellfish or there's a whole heap of religious uh, beliefs that are very powerful and very strong. And if I come along and say, you should eat pork, you're cutting out a very major population group that will never talk to you or they'll, they'll have nothing to do with you or they think you're an idiot because you didn't ask them, what is your, your uh, religious beliefs? Because religious beliefs are, that's very powerful and very strong for them. Some people eat for cultural reasons, some people eat for personal reasons, some people eat because they're happy, some people eat because they're at a social group. There's a whole heap of different reasons. So what to eat, when to eat, why to eat, these are all really personal things. So if I was designing an eating plan for the whole wide world, would I take those things into account? Now obviously I'm leading somewhere with this because after 40 plus years as an exercise professional, and I've got a big long list of qualifications in nutrition, which you don't need to know about because every nutrition course I've ever done, it's always been about what you can't have, mustn't have, don't have, shouldn't have, and telling people what to eat. And my personal opinion on that, and I'm asking you to consider this, what right do I have to tell somebody what to eat, when to eat, how to eat, how much to eat? Would it be a good idea to help people work that out for themselves based on those four questions? So if somebody doesn't have a stack of energy, how do we make sure that they do have a stack of energy? If somebody wants to perform at their best and they're not, 
What do we need to do to make sure that they are? If somebody wants to look good in the mirror, so that might be low body fat percentage or be a certain size, what do we need to do to make sure that they're getting what they want? And if people want to get a result from their exercise and eating plan, which might be that they want to have energy at a certain time of the day, or they need to have a a brain that functions at that particular meeting, or they want to be able to play their sport, or whatever, whatever a person's choice is, the result that they want from their eating and exercise plan, isn't it our responsibility to customize and tailor and personalize whatever they need to suit their lifestyle? Now, what about taste? Some people like a food and some people don't like a food. Should we find that out? Why would we tell somebody to eat something that they don't even like the taste of? Why would we tell somebody to eat something that's against their religious beliefs? And why would we tell somebody to eat something that's against their political persuasion? I'm asking those questions because I think we have become very irresponsible when it comes to food. And you only have to open up social media to at least consider what I've said to be true that people are being told what to do on a regular basis without any questions being asked. And I always use this example. Uh, You can go to a website and buy a diet and you can type in your credit card details and you can purchase an eating plan and that people who sell that to you won't even know if you're a male or a female. They won't know if you're tall or short. They won't know how much muscle tissue you've got. They certainly won't know what your base metabolic rate is. They won't know what your metabolism is and they won't know what your respiratory quotient is, and they certainly won't know what activity levels, stress levels, pressure levels, happiness levels, how often you laugh, how often you have sex. Those questions are never asked. It's just give me your money and here's your diet. And I'm sharing this with you very personally because I work every day with people who have an ugly relationship with food. They are either bulimic or anorexic or obese or morbidly obese or they just hate food, or that every time they sit down to eat food or stand up to eat food, or every time they even consider eating food or going somewhere that has food, they have an enormous argument inside their head. For some people, it's a war. Can I? Can't I? Mustn't I? How much... How much exercise do I have to do to burn up what I'm going to eat? Do I really want to have that? Yes, I do. No, I can't. I wish I could. I can't. And they're angry and guilty and emotional and they're... And, and I, again, will share the, the extreme end of that scale where people have such a poor relationship with food that if they eat a food that they think is bad, they literally cut themselves or pour boiling water on themselves or try and damage their human body because they feel so guilty about the food that they ate. Now, I'm going to ask the question again. If you were designing an eating plan for the world, surely you would avoid all of that. What happens when we tell a small child, don't have, mustn't have, can't have, it's bad for you? And what if you're a person who believes that fructose is bad for you? So a young child wants to eat an apple and you say, no, that's bad for you. Don't eat that. It's got fructose in it. Here's a better question. Because I don't like the food conversation. I have to have it because it's so controversial. It's got so much to do with the exercise profession. But I like to flip this whole thing on its backside. What if you turn your body into a food-burning machine? What if you get so fit and so strong that you have a really high base metabolic rate? So you have a large amount of muscle tissue because you haven't lost any because you've aged or dieted or or haven't looked after yourself. If you're a bloke, you can put on some muscle size so you can actually increase your base metabolic rate so your body can have a bigger engine so you can burn more calories. Wouldn't that be awesome? 
Women, we can do that too, because most women, we've lost muscle tissue as we've gotten older. I haven't. I'm really proud to say that. I am stronger than I've ever been, and that's how you know you haven't lost muscle tissue, because you stay strong, and you can keep lifting heavy. And you know that you're getting stronger if you can keep lifting heavier, and that means you're maintaining your muscles, which means you're maintaining the size of your engine, so your metabolism is not slowing down. In fact, if you put muscle size on or replace muscle that you've lost, you're increasing your muscle size. That's really exciting. So what if we got everybody really strong? And if you're really fit, your respiratory quotient changes, remember. What, what would it be like if the world's bodies, all the human bodies in the world, had a respiratory quotient that preferred to burn sugar, carbohydrate, glycogen, which is the energy for high intense activity, we only store half a kilo of it. What if the world was really fit and really strong so we used up the carbohydrate that we put into our body because we do high intense activity and we lift heavy things and we burn up all the fat and protein that we put into our body because we are a fat burning machine and because we're constantly breaking down our body from doing high intense activity, our body burns up the protein we put into it because we use the protein to rebuild our body. This is really exciting to me because what it takes away is can't have, mustn't have, don't have, shouldn't have. In my house, there's none of that for that reason because I'm really fit and really strong. I know that I'm going to burn up what I put into my body and my body tells me pretty quickly. If I get a, a little bit chubby, I go, well, eat a bit less, Rowie, because obviously you're not burning up what you put in or you need to get a bit fitter or you've got to aim next time you, you train. You really you want to be getting stronger and replacing more muscle tissue so that you have a faster metabolism. What if you were so fit and so strong that you burnt up everything that you put in? And then is it possible, and this is the really important question, if you're really fit and if you're really strong, is it possible that when you're thirsty, or use that to start with that, will your body tell you I'm thirsty? If you're unfit and weak, is it possible that that system breaks down? Because a lot of people, when they're, they're actually thirsty, but they eat instead because they think that they're hungry. Because that whole process, the hormonal process of sending messages via the central nervous system to the brain, the pancreas, the liver, the muscles, all of that gets broken down because they're weak and, and unfit and frail. So if I'm thirsty, my body will say, hey, you need to drink some water because you're thirsty. What about if I'm hungry? If I'm healthy, fit, and strong, my body will tell me, bloody eat, Rowie, you're hungry. <laughs> if I'm unfit and weak and frail, that whole system breaks down. Even the hormonal response to sugar and carbohydrate, which is insulin taking the big glucose molecules out of your bloodstream and putting the glucose in your brain, in your muscles, and in your liver where it belongs, that system breaks down. That's called type 2 diabetes. It's not that we don't have insulin, that's type 1 diabetes and not curable. But type 2 diabetes is that insulin system breaks down because we become unfit, weak, frail and overweight. So what if we were really fit? Our body would tell us that we're thirsty, our body would tell us that we're hungry. Guess what else it'll tell us? That we're full. See, I love chocolate. But if I walk in my kitchen and I'm full, that's why it doesn't matter how much chocolate's in my kitchen. Because if I'm not hungry, I don't eat. <laughs> I eat when I'm hungry and I stop eating when I'm full. But the only reason those two mechanisms work is because I'm fit and strong. Because when you're fit and strong, everything works. When you get out of shape, when you get weak, when you get frail, when you become unfit, everything breaks down. And I always ask that question. Do we get sick and then everything breaks? Or we get sick and then everything breaks down? Or do we get unfit, weak and frail and then everything breaks down? And is it possible that the human body needs to be fit and strong? It was designed to move, it was designed to lift heavy, it was designed to have a positive attitude, it was designed to survive. That's the beautiful thing about the human body. And I watch this every day, don't you? 
people who really probably should be dead because they're screwing up their body so badly, but the body's just busting to survive and it tries and tries and tries. People smoke all of their life and they're morbidly obese and they take drugs, drink alcohol and they put shit in their body and they're still alive because the human body is a mechanism that's designed to survive. But I want to ask this question. Do you actually want to survive through life or do you want to thrive? Do you want to have a stack of energy? Do you want to perform at your best? Do you want to love what you see in the mirror and do you want to get the results that you want from your eating and exercise plan? And again, as an exercise professional, do we have the responsibility to make sure that the information that we give people is customised and personalised and tailored to their lifestyle, to their energy level, to their stress levels, to their fidgeting levels, to the foods that they like to eat or the foods that they don't like to eat? Should we be doing that rather than just preaching at people and saying good food, bad food, can't have, mustn't have, shouldn't have? Is it possible that that kind of information is leading people into that emotional headspace where they feel really guilty about the foods that they shouldn't eat? They, and they end up, if you understand anything about the anorexic headspace, people end up hating all food. The anorexics that have shared with me, and they do very personally share with me, that their goal is to not eat food at all. They want to be in control of their food, not their food controlling them. And the ultimate control of food is not to eat at all. Would you want that for anybody in your life? Would you want somebody to, when they sit down with food, the food always wins, so they just keep eating and eating and eating, and then everything breaks down, the insulin system breaks down, and their body's ability to tell them that they're full breaks down, and their body's ability to tell them that they need to drink water breaks down. Everything's broken, and they end up morbidly obese with coronary heart disease, type 2 diabetes, osteoporosis, cardiovascular disease. They have to get limbs cut off, they go blind. That's all type 2 diabetes. They have a poor sex life, they have a poor self-esteem, they have horrible hair, skin, and nails because the whole system's broken down. See, I don't, I, I'm, I hate talking about it. I'm talking about it though because the solim, the solution, the solution is so simple. How that is a good word, isn't it? Solution. The solution is so simple. Get fit and get strong, and everything changes. How do you get fit? Get really puffed. Push your body to intense activity as often as you possibly can, so that you get really fit. Get puffed to get fit. Get strong, really strong. And the only way to do that is to overload your muscles and bones. So lift heavy to get strong, get puffed to get fit, and turn your body into a food-burning machine. But the most important part of that is that when you're really fit and strong, your headspace is different. Not only do you have a healthy, fit, strong body, but that mechanism inside your brain that says, you're hungry, you should eat, you're full, you should stop eating, you're thirsty, have a drink, you're not thirsty anymore, you don't need to drink, that whole hormonal process... That all works effectively, but when you get really fit because you got puffed and you lift heavy, so you pump epinephrine, adrenaline, cortisol, all the catecholamine system that gets you up and going for the fight and flight system, that has a bounce back bonus effect, which is once you've sprinted, once you've punched hard, once you've fought and beat the animal, once you've overcome the challenge, now your body produces serotonin, satisfaction drug. And most people after they've exercised don't even feel like eating, particularly if they have eaten food as a a comfort, because they feel good without having to eat food. Uh, Dopamine is a reward drug. A lot of people reward themselves with a pizza or a chocolate biscuit or or an alcoholic drink. I've worked really hard today, I need a couple of glasses of wine. But when you've exercised really hard, the dopamine reward response is already there because you've exercised really hard. So you, you feel rewarded, you feel satisfied, 
you feel, this is the really interesting one, endorphins are a pain-killing happy drug. So they are the endorphins that are produced when you exercise really hard are designed to take any pain away so that you can get away from the wild animal. So if you're taking uh, anti-inflammatories or you're taking painkillers or you're taking or you're smoking dope to get rid of pain out of your body, when you build your body builds endorphins and you have that endorphin rush, that the powerful response inside your brain is the same as morphine, heroin, cocaine, marijuana. It's pain-killing. Endorphins are a pain-killing neurotransmitter. So you feel good and the pain's taken away, but the really important part of all of this stuff that goes on in your brain after you exercise is your body produces brain-derived neurotropic factor, which is fertilizer for your brain. So what happens then is all of those systems work better. Is it possible that if you get puffed, lift heavy to get fit and get strong and you change your brain chemistry, is it possible that you'll think differently about food, you'll make better decisions about food? Neurogenesis is the creation of new brain cells and neuroplasticity is the changing of the way we think so our brain cells can be moved around to think differently and that all happens at its peak performance when we get puffed, when we lift heavy and brain-derived neurotropic factor goes through our brain. All of those systems work better, the entire body works better because imagine putting fertilizer into your brain. What does your brain control? Bloody everything. So here's my request. Whether you are an exercise professional, a dietitian, a medical professional, a doctor, a parent, a teacher, a coach, if we're going to tell people what to do about food and about exercise, could we please consider the consequences or the, the collateral damage of what we're giving, the information that we're giving out? If we're telling kids don't have, mustn't have, shouldn't have, it's bad for you, what's the damage we could be doing to their future headspace about that particular food? If we're telling kids that, that I'm on a diet and I'm counting calories and I'm getting my body fat tested and I'm weighing myself three times a day and I'm obsessed with food and exercise, is it possible that our kids hear that and they grow up with that in their headspace? And if you're going to design an exercise and eating plan for your children, would you want them to be counting calories, counting fat, fat grams, measuring every step, measuring their food, fanatical about food and exercise? Please say no. I would love our world to be exactly this. Love your food. Eat when you're hungry. Stop eating when you're full. Enjoy everything that you eat. Don't eat the things that you don't like. Love your exercise. Get fit. Get strong. Turn your body into a food burning machine, a happy drug pumping machine, a high energy machine, a high performing machine and love every day of your life because you are healthy, fit and strong for long because then you can say like me every day, I feel good, na 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 na, I knew that I would now, na 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 na, feel good, woohoo, yeah yeah, feel good. My name's Rowie, live life to the max, thanks for coming to Row Max. I feel good, na 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 na. I knew that I would now, na 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 na.